Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 50, Mo Carnage. Mo Carnage is a, uh, a local uh, left-wing radical activist uh, in Richmond, a young woman from originally from Hanover. I first uh, became aware of her when uh, somebody posted video of her at going toe-to-toe with city council over the Monroe Park plan, which involves leasing out Monroe Park to a private uh, entity so that the city can free up maintenance funds to do something else, which I believe it has turned out what they're planning to do is purchase um, a site in council person Mosby's district to create a rec center over there, which is not such a bad thing. You need rec centers. But uh, I, as Mo points out, it's kind of shady how they did it. And um, Mo is invested in that site because it has been used for quite some time to feed the hungry, the homeless. And it is a spot that a lot of uh, homeless folk loll and lounge during the day. And that is a, I don't know, I mean, I got to say that's a dubious situation. I mean, people got to go somewhere to go. As Kurt Vonnegut said, uh, human beings have an unfortunate tendency to stick to the planet. And it's kind of fucked up that, that we have a system that says people can tell you where you're allowed to stick to the planet. But is that is the system that we have. And uh, one of the things that I admire about uh, Mo is, although I believe she would, she's a kind of an anarchist and is, uh, you know, looking to establish a new paradigm and following, I guess, role, uh, models of, you know, European kind of squat thinking and and uh, activism. Um, she seems to respect the existing paradigm; otherwise, she wouldn't go before city council and and uh, try to use the actual process that is available, which I, I admire. And I have often thought about doing something like that, and it's very cool that she actually did. And although she didn't get what she wanted, you know, that's how it's done. You know, we we, we speak up, we, uh, we try to fight for what we want, we put pressure, and sometimes the answer is no, and you keep on doing what you're going to do and what you believe in anyway. And it, I mean, these are very complex issues, no duh. And it's very hard for me to come down hard on side of any of it. Um, I, you know, I lean more towards the left. I'm a liberal. I mean, I'm definitely a social liberal. I, I think people ought to be able to do and live however they want. I don't think that anyone should be, anyone's liberty should be impinged upon based on their race or sexual preference or religious ideology. And that goes, that cuts both ways for anybody. I really honestly believe that this country has always been a mixture and trying to define it as antithetical to what it is, trying to say it is anything other than a place where it is allowed to be a mixture is bullshit. Um, but I, you know, as a, as a person who has also accepted that there's an system in place, a capitalist system in place, a, a, a a system of trade, of barter, of working for uh, money to exchange for other goods and services that you want and paying your rent and all that kind of stuff. I participate in that and I need it to work. And I have participated it in places where there are people who have dropped out of it who are interfering with that. And I don't think that they should 
have the right to interfere with that. And uh, and I understand the concerns of people who do have the capital and the organization and whatever to put together a business and have that business function and have it be a positive force in a community and not want, you know, um, a chaotic element sort of sp- sprawled about on it. But it's a tough call. I mean, this, this chaos, these are humans. These are humans with problems, you know, homeless people, drug problems, alcohol problems, uh, the people who are born into poverty, people who just don't have any fucking, they don't know what else to do with themselves, or people who are schizophrenic and psychotic and... I mean, we just can't round up all the people that don't fit our model and, and shove them into some corner of the city or some corner of the state or some corner of the planet. We can't just institutionalize them because they, they fuck with uh, commerce. I mean, it's important for us to have com- um, compassion. Compassionate commerce? I don't know. I don't know how all this works out, but I think it's important to look at it from all the angles. And I yesterday I went to the cathedral, which is across from Monroe Park, because my two of my cousins were getting their first communion. And uh, I'm not down with Catholic dogma, and that's okay because, you know, the cathedral's fucking sound system, I don't know what they're saying anyway, but I am totally down with my family, and I'm down with the fact that my cousins are trying to participate in something meaningful, so I showed up for that thing to support my cousins, you know, getting involved in something, being a part of something, you know, at least until they're 18 and they can decide if they want to be Catholics or not. Like the majority of their older cousins who are there who do not take communion anymore, not involved in that. We're not dogmatic Christians, but I am a philosophical Christian. I believe in the idea of looking out for your fellow man. Um, and I try to do that whenever possible, but you know, I'm walking out of that church and I'm walking down the aisle and a toothless African-American woman steps right up in my face, like, you know, toe to toe with me and says, can you help me out with $20? And, uh, I don't fucking dig that. And I don't think that's cool. (laughs) And who knows the state of that woman's mental health or any of that kind of shit. But it says, you know, this is a problem. This, this, this is right in your face. What do you do about it? And, you know, Mo and a lot of other people are trying to address it. They're trying to feed people and ultimately at the end of the day that's important you know having compassion for other people is having compassion for yourself it's it's as much of a selfish act as it is a selfless act and to connect with other people and um and recognize that it doesn't matter why you found yourself in the situation for anybody to stand idly by and watch their fellow human you know suffer that's that is demeaning to the person who is watching that as demeaning it is in dehumanizing to the person who allows people around them to starve and suffer just because they made the wrong choice. And I have made the wrong fucking choice plenty in my life. And, and it was because of the grace of the universe and people giving a shit about, you know, the idea that a human can be redeemed that I got a second chance and people helped me come from having nothing not that long ago. And uh, living in a situation where I had to, I had to scrape and scrounge, and it was it was the charity of others that made that got me set on that foot. And it is possible; it's always possible. And you have to keep gambling on that possibility that what you're doing is helping others. So um, I admire Mo for 
putting that out there. And I'm glad she's just not one of these negative people whose whose idea of anarchy or whose idea of uh, rebellion or radical behavior is just basically a fuck you. Because we got, fuck yous are not useful to anybody. It's just divisive to the culture. It does suck that like there are people who have and there are people who have not. And it's very easy to just kind of come along and say all those people who have are bad. They're not. They're good. They're just like you. You know, they're people who were born into a particular situation. And the best thing, I don't believe it does anybody any good to alienate anybody. We have to be doing what we can to be inclusive. That means include the people who actually have the economic power to fix stuff. You know, welcome them instead of telling them that they suck. Try to get them to feel compassion for the situation and want it themselves. It's going to be interesting, I think, over the next decade because it would appear to me that the people who decided they didn't give a shit about urban Richmond anymore have decided they give a shit again and they're going to start elbowing their way back in here. And uh, I think it's going to, it's a real challenge for the people who have always liked it down here to integrate those people back in here and not get shoved aside by them. But if that happens, that is the system we live in. And it's better than nothing because I don't want bedlam. I don't want just real deal anarchy where ultimately what ends up happening is might makes right. Again, it is fucking complex. But uh, I'm glad there are people like Mo out there that are doing something on a daily basis to help other people. And it's a good example and I'm going to try and do it myself. Do it. So is Mo Carnage your... Give it your real name. Is that the name you go by? With that's the name I go by. Yeah. It's not my government name. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> it's not my slave name. Yeah, but th- that's what everybody calls you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. All right. Where are you originally from? This area? I'm from Hanover County, like 20 miles north of here. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, I used to work at the uh, Hanover Tavern. Oh, really? Yeah, I grew yeah. up right near the Hanover Tavern off Norman's Bridge Road. It used to be Route 54. That's an interesting area. Do you yeah. know what do you know about that whole uh, the whole Patrick Henry? Uh, I don't. Activity? I remember when I was a kid. I heard, you hear about it like in elementary school and the "Give me liberty or give me death" speech, right? And all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah, he but, practiced law up there at the um, did he? at the Hanover Courthouse oh. before he came down here and yeah, you know, made a name for himself. But apparently, he uh, he uh, pled a case up there on behalf of a parson or something. But that was really his initial like claim to fame. But I worked at that. Um, at the Hanover Tavern. When it was a restaurant? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, they had, there had been a small theater in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. when I was a kid, it was a theater. Right. Well, they still have it now, but there was like a group that did it that were more like uh, kind of a mom and pop hippie kind of yeah. whatever. And they sold it and this other group took it over and they discovered that that place isn't old enough to have had any Patrick Henry in it. <laughs> whoops yeah they uh they did dendrochronology and it turned out the wood's not old enough oh. so you grew up in hanover and yeah what was that like it's like you? growing up in the country yeah yeah we because that part of hanover is the more rural area it's not like mechanicsville where you've got like all the subdivisions and stuff mm-hmm. so growing up with like 13 acres and a bunch of farms all around you playing in the woods a whole lot <laughs> yeah and w- yeah. did were you like fairly punk rock lefty or like whatever you however you would label where you're yeah at. i mean i was a, i was a weirdo from the get-go mm-hmm. yeah i was like even in elementary school trying to organize the other like fourth graders in a protest of a subdivision they were going to build near our school because oh, yeah. i didn't want them to cut down the trees <laughs> so i for whatever reason i always had that little like 
weirdo tinge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But not just not just to be a, uh, have a problem with it, but to do something. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the first time I saw you, you were I was aware of you as this somebody. Uh, Danny Black posted you at City Council talking about the Monroe Park. Okay, yeah. Thing. So you know, lots of people in this town like to bitch about things, but not that not anywhere near as many like actually get organized and try to do something yeah. about it. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Hopefully they will. How long have you been uh, doing that? Like since you've been doing it since you were a kid? And I've been, yeah, I've been doing it since I was a kid. Um, and I started like, I started doing Richmond Food Not Bombs when I was in high school. I wasn't allowed to. I had to sneak out. Mm-hmm. I had to say I was going to the shopping mall. Instead, I would go to like Food Not Bombs or to a city council meeting to hold up a sign for the living wage campaign. And would your parents have objected to you? Doing yeah, that? my dad thought that the communists were going to brainwash me. Hmm. But it wasn't the communists, it was the anarchists. So, <laughs> and what, How would you define anarchy and anarchists? I'm not real clear on it. I mean, it's a thing that's been thrown around quite fashionably for right. years, and so years. Like any political ideology that's been around for a while, there's like, you know, 20 different subsets or little, you know, different approaches to it. Um, but I mean, for me, it's all about figuring out a way to eliminate hierarchies from our society and our relationships um, and to develop a society where communities have autonomy mm-hmm. over the decisions that affect those communities. Um, like the citizens. Like, yeah, like, like the, the citizens, you know, so right. this, this area of Church Hill would be able to make decisions about the things that affect this area of Church Hill. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't be people from the West End coming in and saying, oh, no, we're definitely right. going to build this here. We want this back now. Yeah. <laughs> it again. Yeah. yeah. Which they're trying to do, of course. Of course. This neighborhood's rapidly gentrifying. particularly, but when yeah. you say people from the West End, I guess you mean people with money to yeah. invest and can do big projects to do things that significantly alter the skyline. Or exactly. Like that, or... the condo building they want to build um, that'll block the view from Libby Hill. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, the, the, the problem with that is that we need money in the city, mm-hmm. you know, and yet we don't know how to get it into the city. The people who are at least in power don't know how to get it into the city without, they all, they want to do the big, like fell swoop kinds of right. things. Well, I think that that has a lot to do with like the ego that comes with holding power mm-hmm. is that everybody, it seems like at least with the Richmond politics, the, the cycle has been that people get elected and then once they're in office, they want to do the big project. That'll right. be the big fancy ta-da, you know, like their sort of legacy that they leave behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and Looks good on their resume. Exactly. And they're, they're consistently doing these large scale urban redevelopment schemes straight out of the textbooks. Like I studied right. urban planning and Richmond is, we're at least five or 10 years behind what other cities are doing. And so mm-hmm. we're just copying things that don't fit our particular situation right. And be, they're not original, so right. they don't hold water. Like a canal walk, we did that because Austin, Texas, did a and canal walk. No pun intended. Huh? There, right? What? They don't hold water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they don't. But you know, the canal walk—it's pretty much a failure. I don't think it's, it's done. It's a ditch. It's a ditch. Right. It's my grandma likes it, but mm-hmm. it's not particularly exciting for very many other people. Um, and the convention center, you know, a convention center right. was a cool idea, whichever city did it first. But when every city has a convention center, right. it's really not the sort of economic um, boon that they try to suggest it would be. Yeah, so, usually convention centers are more interesting when the place that they are is someplace that people want to go. Right, like already. the beach. <laughs> or Las Vegas. Yeah, exactly. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the, all of our politicians want to do big projects. And they also, all these projects rely on this 
uh, false concept of trickle down. Mm -hmm. They pretty much seem to think that, oh, well, we'll just, you know, make these people who are already wealthy more wealthy by subsidizing their projects with taxpayer money. And then Mm -hmm. somehow magically that will give everybody else jobs. Right. And what we're seeing is, I mean, if anything, the jobs that are being created in Richmond are more for people who are just now moving to Richmond Mm -hmm. than they are for like the 27% of Richmonders who live in poverty. Yeah. Um, So we're not doing enough to take care of the actual people who live here. Mm-hmm. The politicians just want to lure others here to maybe like adjust the the statistics by adding bodies, but well, they need to get. I mean, you know, it probably as well as anybody that the city of Richmond is landlocked. It can't. It's you know, it's stuck with the environs that don't include Chesterfield and don't include Henrico. Right. All the <clears> people <throat> that have the money, really, most of the people with money live in those counties, and they still use the city. But they don't have to contribute anything to the city yeah. in the form of upkeep and whatever. Um, so Richmond's main source of revenue is personal property tax and you know owners of property in the city. Yeah. Um, and you know, bit by bit, VCU is apparently gobbling up that kind of property, right. and they don't pay taxes <laughs> yeah. on that stuff. And so I guess, I mean, on the one hand, I think that's a halfway decent strategy that they would lure people who like the city mm-hmm. because they're they're failing at luring the people that left the city in the 50s and 60s back into right. the city from Chesterfield and Henrico. I, I think, though, that the issue isn't always that we don't have the money. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, the issue that came up last night at city council, for instance, um, like, you know, for the past three months or so, we've been going to city council because they had this terrible idea to lease Monroe park right. because they wanted to save $3.2 million that if they could lease it to this private organization, then the city wouldn't have to come up with $3.2 million and the private organization would fundraise for the renovation plan, mm-hmm. the renovation plan that's really ostentatious and was developed by that private organization in the first right. place. Um, and the, there's lots of aspects of that plan that are really bad, including that the taxpayers are going to continue to pay all the utilities for Monroe Park for the next 30 years, even while the Conservancy puts in a for-profit restaurant in the middle. Um, so they're going to be making money that'll be heavily subsidized by taxpayers. And they're probably not going to make that restaurant pay, like, electric. No, exactly. That's shit, all right? getting paid for by the taxpayers. That was their the same thing with 6th Street Marketplace. What, you know, right. All of the restaurants in there pay, didn't pay for utilities. Right. They got big tax breaks, all of that for anchoring. Exactly. So uh, we just we just sold out a, a city park to save $3.2 million because so they said through. they couldn't mm-hmm. have it. But then last night at city council, on the consent agenda, they put that they're purchasing a new park on Southside, and they're going to spend $3.6 million to get a new park. Where is it, Blackwell? Um, no, on Old Warwick Road. It's a piece of property that was owned by the Richmond Outreach Center, the, mm-hmm. the church with the pedophile pastor. Um Pastor G. I'm not in the loop. Oh, it, it, it's this big church that kind of preys on folks who are like really poor or addicted or trying not to be addicted. Um, and they just had a big scandal because their head pastor, who was raking in the dough from the church, um, got arrested for two acts of pedophilia in Texas. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, not, not necessarily the most upstanding um, organization to be doing business with. But so we had we don't it wasn't that we didn't have the money to take care of Monroe Park is that they wanted to use the money on something else mm-hmm. and that that's something that we see all the time they're constantly right. subsidizing um, stuff that we don't need to be subsidizing we're losing money trying to lure cor- corporations here and stuff when we could be using that to 
do more like workplace work um the career training for mm-hmm. for like high school students and stuff like mm-hmm. that that'll help the actual residents be able to get better paying jobs yeah mm-hmm. yeah i i was telling you before we turn on the mics that i grew up in in this neighborhood in libby hill park right. and my parents bought their house in, in 1972 and um at that time there were maybe two or three blocks where there were old folks who were you know kind of old school preservationists who right. had a, had houses and kept them nice and fixed them up and there were that was the beginning of the churchill the historic richmond mm-hmm. foundation and all of that and um you know bit by bit people moved into this neighborhood like my parents who wanted my mother wanted a house with a fireplace in every room and my dad you know was interested in civil war history right right and he worked at philip morris in a factory and he could afford that house exactly so it was a, a middle class thing you know mm-hmm. just middle class people moving into a, a poor neighborhood yeah not gentrification yeah just an influx of people who are actually buying mm-hmm. you know and and over the next 15 years that neighborhood after you know being preyed on a little bit by the people in the neighborhood we got robbed a few times mm-hmm. and you know you couldn't put anything in your car without yeah you know you might as well just leave it unlocked and Bikes didn't stick around very long. All of mm-hmm. that. We got a neighborhood watch together. Cooperated with the police. Really did a lot of communicating with the city. And the Churchill that you know today came out of a community, act, you know, action mm-hmm. committee. Basically, a very loose and formal kind of a thing. This woman Shelby Long making phone calls and right. and all of that. And it it made the neighborhood safer. It made the neighborhood a community. And then more people moved in. The neighborhood approved one person at a time, one family at a time, one property owner right. at a time. And that thing, that seems to work. But I've been watching them try to drop big cement bricks on the Ant Hill um, since the 80s with Sixth Street Marketplace. With Main right, Street exactly. Station, you know. And Well, and the, I mean, the other thing is, is like anarchists were radicals. And the reason we're radicals is because the word radical means the root. Mm-hmm. I would prefer to look at a problem and address the root causes of it. And try to solve the root causes of the problem as opposed to sort of just seeing the symptoms, you know, which are a lot more obvious and in your face Mm -hmm. and trying to put band-aids on the symptoms. Because the thing with gentrification and the thing with um, even with like crime reduction in certain neighborhoods, while it's positive for the people who live in those neighborhoods, if you aren't stopping things like poverty (laughs) and addiction um, and untreated mental illness and all those sorts of things... The only thing that happens is that folks get shifted around. Yeah. You know, so if one neighborhood kind of comes together as a community and decides on certain standards um, and works together to prevent, you know, people from breaking into cars or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, the car thieves are just going to go to another neighborhood. Right. You know, and so it sort of becomes this whole like NIMBY, not in my backyard thing. Um, if we don't like as a larger community figure out how to address yeah, the underlying causes, how do we do that? I mean, cause you know, one of the underlying causes goes back 400 years and it, or whatever, that's right. the round figure. Um, a bunch of, you know, several generations of people decided it would be, it would make better economic sense in the short term to force people to work rather than to pay them to mm-hmm. work. And in the short term, they made a lot of money on tobacco and cotton. Right in here and then when that was disbanded and ended through a bloody civil war the people were left right behind and not only do we deal with the economic realities of the beginning in poverty we deal with the emotional 
uh, mm-hmm. realities of knowing that's your history. Right. The sort of trauma that comes issues. with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think, I mean, I think two practical things that the city of Richmond could do tomorrow if they wanted to that would in, have an incredible impact in terms of helping deal with our poverty. One would be to decriminalize drugs, mm-hmm. you know, to do what lots of other places have done and to make having, you know, a possession of a certain amount of marijuana just a ticketable offense, mm-hmm. if anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two would be to raise the minimum wage. Like the, have you been, have you heard about the fast food workers campaigns? Well, I know that they were attempting to unionize right. at one point. And uh-huh. we're about to have national strikes mm-hmm. on Thursday. Um, actually international. It's 150 cities in the U.S. and then a whole bunch of folks around the world are all going on strike um, in solidarity with fast food workers and just all these fast food workers. We're going to have two strikes in Richmond on Thursday. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's the sort of thing where when when minimum wage is seven twenty five, even for a city like Richmond where, you know, it's a lot cheaper to live here than many other places, especially up north. The math, though, on a living wage is still thirteen sixty. Yeah. You need to make $13.60 an hour to be able to afford to live on your own. Huh? That's hard. You yeah. Know? No, it's I mean, very hard. You're gonna, I mean, I, I probably make twice that uh, minimum wage, and yeah. I'm not doing so good. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> yeah. like even even if you're making the, the what the e- economists tell us is the living wage, it doesn't mean you're enjoying, mm-hmm. you know, having to do your budget every month. It, it still is a very tight fit. Yeah. <laughs> and and the folks working in fast food, most of, or I think half of whom have children, um, they're making like $5 less than that. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, something like that, if we could become a city that we demanded a living wage for everyone who worked here, then when we did get new businesses here, they would be actually helping improve our situation as opposed to just perpetuating cycles of poverty. Yeah, and what do you what do you think the new businesses should look like? Like I mean, my feeling is that really the best thing the city could do is get out of the way and let the people who are starting companies like Lamplighter or Shaco Denim or right. whatever just <clears throat> do their thing, don't fuck with them, let them c- create the communities they want yeah. to create if anything incentivize the existing exactly. businesses yeah well, um it's interesting you bring up lamplighter because um alan shinsius mm-hmm. his daughter is noel who's one of the owners of lamplighter and who is alan shinsius he's he's my friend he's he's an activist you'll see him at city council meetings a lot he's heavily involved in the anti-shaco stadium campaign mm-hmm. um he used to own the camel before okay. before he sold it to rand burgess who's down the owner mm-hmm. and and he's he's a really smart guy to talk to about small businesses because what we see in Richmond is the city spending millions of dollars to incentivize outside groups to come here to start businesses. While on the other hand, all of these super creative, you know, from the ground up grassroots local businesses mm-hmm. are just bombarded with red tape. At, at VCU, you know, yeah, it, we've got all these homegrown people who are creative and amazing and do these projects that are very supported and yet they have to struggle and struggle Mm -hmm. to get the city of richmond to allow them to open their doors meanwhile we give 15 million dollars to the redskins Mm -hmm. who have a racist name (laughs) who are the third richest nfl team Mm -hmm. why would we give them 15 million dollars when we could have used that 15 million dollars to help out local businesses yeah it's insane it is insane and it's obvious i mean it's obviously that th- that this is the kind of city politics that goes on all over the country. I mean, it's the right. kind of things you hear mm-hmm. about in New Orleans with you know the kind of junk Ray Nagin would do. And yeah. 
I mean, I've only known it from its dramatized version in the the Wire, but like <laughs> you know, Baltimore politics being like that—that that yeah. ultimately, what politicians are concerned with is their career. Yes, and you know, there all politicians are really supposed to function like the um, leaders of AA groups. They're really only supposed to be serving right a, these serving a term. If anything, right? facilitators supposed to have some other job, yeah. and like they they take mm-hmm. time off from that job. They come, they do this for a while. They serve the community. Yeah, they play this role. They do what's best for the community, mm-hmm. and they move on. But I mean, this career politician thing is a very real problem because totally everything that's being done, as you mentioned earlier, is being done. You know, for what what can I put on my resume? What can I say I accomplished? I mean, and even repairing infrastructure doesn't look good on a resume. Yeah. As good as building new shit. No, they basically seem to pander to their constituents only enough to get the votes to get reelected. You know, they all all the individual district council members will do a few projects in their areas very pointedly. And I feel like that's that's about all the folks that they Mm -hmm. represent get from them when really they should get a whole lot more. And the impression that I get that of what goes on, you know, in the the, the Dwight Jones kinds of guys and the and the guys before him like Leonidas Young or mm-hmm. Saad El Amin, yeah, they go into these communities over here and they tell all of these people that they need to get them in there to fight the power, yeah, right, and they and they use the churches and, mm-hmm. and they have these reverend and some of them go, reverends going on to be politicians, but yeah. There's a very you know shitty old school form of hucksterism going on. I'm yes. going to take care of you, but they're going in there to take care of themselves, yeah. and they'll toss some money at a project every so often. I worked for the city in in the '90s doing working oh, really? for Rec and Parks, yeah, because we would get federal money to give out the f- breakfast and lunch that's supposed to be administered in the schools, yeah. And so there would be extra money to hire, you know, college age kids like myself. And, mm-hmm. and I became privy to a, a whole lot of really ignorant, yeah. you know, useless stuff, like throwing money at media stuff, banners, things like that. Nothing substantive. Or, you know, the $400,000 we spend a year on the mayor's personal security detail. Right. <laughs> that I, I could think of a lot of ways to spend <laughs> $400,000 to help the people of Richmond and none of them have to do with Mayor Jones. <laughs> Now, I was gone from Richmond for uh, five, four or five years. I was in the Twin Cities. And when I left, that whole Wilder had become the first popularly elected mayor right. in Richmond. And previously, they, they had been they had chosen. Appointed by from council. A, yeah. yeah. It was a city council member, basically, right? Yeah. So Dwight Jones was popularly elected or was did yeah. he go back to that? No, he, he was popularly elected twice now. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure how. Right. But it was, well, I mean, the last election... Um, I believe there was only one other person who ran against him and they weren't a particularly strong candidate. It was a guy, I think Tatterhall or something from Churchill. Mm. Um, I don't think I was, but yeah, there, it, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a very big push in terms of opposition, but I have a very strong feeling that we're going to see a lot of opposition across the board come the, um, 2016 elections. Mm-hmm. And do you think that, uh, well, f- tell me a little bit more about the, the Monroe Park thing, I gleaned from what you were saying that one of your main concerns, and also because you do food, not bombs, mm-hmm. is you're, you're part of feeding the homeless in the park. Mm-hmm. And you're concerned that that's not going to be allowed when the private entities take over that park. You're not going to be able to do that there anymore. Right. I mean, that's one of our major concerns. Um, the When it was the Monroe Park Advisory Council, which was the predecessor to the Monroe Park Conservancy, they created this really fancy um, renovation plan. And in their plan documents, which is like over 100 pages, um, 
of all the little details, it also includes studies that they paid to have done that say um, the ideal ratio of homeless or homeless appearing individuals to non-homeless individuals is 1 to 75 or 100. Um, and I don't understand that statistic. It, it, it's saying that they, that from their point of view, the ideal ratio is that you would have one homeless person mix into a crowd of 75 or 100 who are, non-homeless. Who homes but are poor. And or no, no, just any other person. They're saying basically... In a city population or... No, in, in Monroe Park. In, oh, okay. So they're okay. saying that in Monroe Park, they would like to see a ratio where you only have one homeless person to every 75 to 100 non-homeless people in the park. Um, and that and some other sort of verbiage that they have in the plan make it, make it pretty apparent that they don't like homeless people. Right. Um, and also that they have said, and the, they have said this and the Oregon Hill community association, um, was the group that received this information that they plan on charging a $35 permit application fee per event. And then they have the right to say yay or nay on the event and then charge you additional fees. If they decide to say, yeah, you can have your event here. And this would be including food, not up folding tables and feeding, Right. And, and is not bombs what I see when I drive by there and they're feeding people off, you know, on- not necessarily. I mean, because food, not bombs is just one of many groups of people who come out to Monroe park on like pretty much every day of the week to distribute food and clothing and beverages and all kinds of stuff. Um, but we did the math and like Richmond food, not bombs has been there every Sunday except for two for the past, um, over 20 years now. Mm-hmm. And if we'd had to pay a $35 application fee, for all those times, we would have spent almost $40,000 at this point just wow. for the right to distribute free food, um, which is money that we don't have and mm-hmm. money that most of the people who come to the park to share food don't have. Mm-hmm. And to to do anything that would make it more difficult to distribute free food would be doing like a lot of harm to homeless people, but also to a lot of the elderly folks um, working poor and like people with disabilities and who are on fixed incomes or social security. Yeah. And what is the ratio in your experience of the people who are coming to eat in the park of let's say, you know, alcoholic drug addicted homeless for that reason Mm -hmm. to uh, people who are really having a hard time because they're disabled or they are really trying to have jobs and homes and, this is, you know, they have to come here to eat because they're desperate and like, well, not that I would necessarily want to put, you know, people in need in various, you know, uh, gradients. Mm-hmm. of. I would say that I think the thing that is interesting is that most people go by Monroe Park and they assume that everyone who looks poor who's in Monroe Park is homeless. Mm-hmm. And I would say it's maybe 25 to 50% actually homeless who are in Monroe Park. Because there are a lot of people who have a place to live, but they get such a small check that it doesn't include enough to right. have food, especially not to have healthy food, not mm-hmm. to have you know new socks or enough clothing or enough blankets. And so people know that they can come to Monroe Park and sort of supplement the meager income that they have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and I could probably count on one hand the number of times where like I felt like someone was really out of line or making me uncomfortable when I was doing food, not bombs mm-hmm. in Monroe park. And I've been doing it for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like there, there might be like, I'm sure that there are people there who are struggling with addiction, you know, or, you know, who, who've made their own problems or whatever, you know, people would want to say about them, but it's not really rowdy. <laughs> right. Um, it's not, it's not like a bad scene. And, um, yeah. And, and most people, pretty much act within sort of, you know, your general society standards of behavior. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you've got fights breaking out or anything right, like that. Right. So 
I'm kind of curious. I mean, I, I see this from a lot of different angles. I mean, I, I like my heart. It's there's this old saying that if you're not um, a radical in your 20s, you got no heart. And if you're <laughs> not, um, I don't know, somewhat establishment when you're in your 30s, you got no fucking brains. Right. And um, I haven't I'm not I was never an extreme of either of those things. Mm-hmm. I've always really been socially liberal. I've been for people. Yeah. Being accepted and feeling included and being treated equally. Um, I, as a person who is trying to make my way economically in this world, um, I find a hard time finding my stance in, you know, because I am a capitalist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Basically, I operate as a cap. I believe in compassionate capitalism. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting that I think branding nowadays is telling companies that, look, you can't just say that you're a good company you have to be a good company because people are going to find out mm-hmm. that you're not and so therefore you should have practices that are good for the community and good for the world and all of that and that's actually part of your advertising and we're sort of that is going on we're sort of moving in that direction right but i mean i have like i lived in the east village in the 90s i moved uh into a right after they broken up Tompkins square park mm-hmm. which was a homeless encampment right you know like people lived there there were the kind of home home you know the Traditional sort of homeless it is the stereotype, and then there were people who, you know, the the traveler kids that are, right. you know, um, addicted to drugs, panhandling to buy dope, um, you know, just basically hanging out all day, getting high, mm-hmm. and eating trash, eating out of the trash cans, like me. Um, yeah. yeah, I eat out of the trash most of the time. <laughs> yeah, and and that that's not a judgment yeah. thing that I'm saying that. Yeah. I'm just say okay, so that was there. They broke up the park. They told every nobody can spend the night there anymore. Mm-hmm. They locked the park up at night, and gradually businesses started moving into the neighborhood. Um, I worked for a restaurant on Avenue A that was just it was just you know some people who lived on the Upper East Side, but they wanted to open a small Italian restaurant down there. Yeah, and every night when I was there waiting tables trying to make my rent, I had to deal with somebody coming in that door, whether it was a kid, you know, like a, what do we call We called them crusties yeah. back then. Crust yeah, we still kids. call them that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, I lived across the street from a squat that was very organized and very yeah. serious. Like they had utilities. They'd done the right things to totally. acquire the building. They were renovating it. They were putting up sheetrock. They were, mm-hmm. you know, and then there was another squat that was much more about let's go in here and get high and uh, yeah. have a place to crash. But my need, you know, as an individual who's just working <laughs> a job was impacted by these people rolling up on the sidewalk and stepping through our, the doors were open to the street to bump money off of right. the people that were sitting at the table there. And I definitely had a problem with that, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't, I wasn't sad to see that gradually pushed out of that neighborhood, you know, right. and we do need to deal with the root problems of, homelessness absolutely but we also the individuals you know i was thinking about this thing. i'm trying to grow vegetables in my yard mm-hmm. and there are worms eating them mm-hmm. and i was thinking about when i was a kid reading peter cottontail and how the bad guy in that story is mr mcgregor right who <laughs> yeah farm. he's trying to catch him yeah and peter has done nothing other than to show up to eat these vegetables and right. you can ask other questions about the natural order of things and you know whatever <laughs> But th- that guy gets the bad rap a lot. The person who is working hard and investing and, and you know, basically playing. I mean, they're, they're, they're good people who are trying to work within the status quo to do a business. Mm-hmm. And the, do you feel that those people just get what they, you know, they're, they're, you have no sympathy or compassion for whatever impact having a shit ton of 
uh, people in around those buildings, um, around those businesses in that park, m- how it might impact them or deter right. people from coming there. Well, yeah. I think that a if you decide to open up a business in a city, then or, or and if you decide to move into a city, um, things like noise and homelessness mm-hmm. and poverty, um, you know, and kids running around in the street are all things that you should be okay with because you're choosing to set up where those things are already happening mm-hmm. for one, you know, it's nobody likes the asshole who moves into a neighborhood and then starts complaining about right. the things that have been happening there for years. Um, right. and I also would argue that Monroe park is very different than Tompkins square park in that it's not surrounded by businesses. It's pretty much exclusively, exclusively surrounded by VCU. One um, big business, one big, big and ever growing business. Um, and I don't think that it hurts VCU. If, and if it does hurt VCU, well, then good, because we have to slow VCU down. Because they, like you said earlier, they're gobbling up all the old townhouses, all the buildings around there. Um, well, how, I mean, they've old, just demolished so many. How old are you? 27. 27. When I, when I was a little bit younger than you, I watched VCU dismantle Gray Street. Yeah. As it had been. And um, they used existing laws, uh, building code stuff, ABC stuff, whatever. Yeah. Trainee and the uh, people of the West Avenue Association and all those folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and my theory, I mean, you know, there was a bunch of biker bars and an X-rated movie theater and lots of other crazy stuff going on. An enjoyable anarchical thing for all of us youngsters yeah. that, that dug that scene. Um, and I and it was very clear to me that why that was going on is that Parents from the country or parents from other places. Northern br- Virginia, more right, like they it. They bring their kids down. They uh-huh. look around the campus and they say, well, these are nice facilities. It's a nice gym you got here. It's nice classrooms. But I I don't think so. You know, we've got this, you know, yeah. my kid's going to walk out of a dorm and find himself a block away, not victimized, possibly choosing to, uh, right. you know, which is what a lot Engage of people did do that lived in Rhodes Hall and yeah. Johnson Hall I mean, back then. and. I, I hate to see it though. Like my parents met at the Jade Elephant, which mm-hmm. that building is one of the few old ones kind of still left in that area of Gray Street. Mm-hmm. It's something else now, you know. But it's going to be a sad day for me when they tear down that building, sure. Because it's like people have memories. Those buildings were, you know, have held businesses that were around for a long time, and then mm-hmm. they're just yeah, knocked, I mean, knocked over love- to build some five-story, ugly, badly designed modern architecture piece of shit building. Like it totally sucks. And I'm, a, I mean, I'm a romantic when it comes yeah. to that kind of stuff. I mean, I want to see, I want to see the buildings in this neighborhood th- survive. I want to see the buildings yeah. all over the fans. You said you um, grew up in Libby Hill. Do you know the coolies? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I worked for restoration builders for yeah, like l- all last year. David Cooley's company. Yeah. Now Sydney is actually the main like worker. He's his, oh, daughter, his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, is Willow his daughter also? What are his kids? He has more than Ooh, one, right? Sydney and I forget Bree mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um, a, maybe a son, but the son doesn't live in Richmond, so they were significantly younger than me. Okay, so yeah, my sister babysat them. But yeah, I mean th- that's what I do is I restore old houses, and like my dad's a carpenter, and like I'm a carpenter. Sorry, um, Sorry. and so. Yeah, old. So you must be uh, offended as you look around this place because there's been some effed up carpentry done here. Those used to be pocket doors right there, and they yeah slap some a two by ten. I find the spray paint 
the spray gun painting job more offensive. That's offensive. And the guy yeah. who did that was really hurrying to try to make a nest for his girlfriend. And then uh. her father saw this place and was just like, hell no. Uh. But he had he had gotten a, he had tried to paint it by using a... When those guns yeah. it doesn't mm-hmm. work and doesn't make the paint stick for very long, even if you do get it to work. Yeah, so it's it was yeah. all over the floor in here too. I I'm, I'm oh really? Yeah, I'm working on that. But uh, but I mean, I I guess I'm I'm for changing the paradigm, and the but the paradigm runs real deep, like not mm-hmm. just in America or in the west in Western civilization, but just like forever, as they say, right. the poor will always be with us, and maybe. But yeah, but yet I don't. I mean, I believe us monkeys have accomplished some, many, many things that people said never mm-hmm. were, was going to happen. Um, it's too bad kindness wasn't one of those. <laughs> we haven't accomplished kindness. No. Well, I think that I think there are a lot of people who fight the good fight for compassion and kindness. Right. There are equally as many who are selfish, and that's the great battle in every human being: is your level of being able to get outside of yourself and do what's the best for your relationship, just you and one right. other person, your roommates, your family, all of that yeah. stuff. That's, it's difficult for people. We are built to survive, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and if you're really imbalanced, all you think about is your own survival. Yeah. And if you're, and you know, somewhat more evolved, you think about. It's interesting that you just put it that way though, that if you're really unbalanced, all you care about is your own survival. Um, to bring it back to like homeless folks mm-hmm. in that folks who are in really rough situations, whether it be, you know, mental illness, disability, addiction, or, or just extreme poverty. Um, a lot of times related to like a felon status. So they just can't get hired. Mm-hmm. Th- those sorts of things. Um, you know, I, I think that that's, what's also missed is that a lot of folks are just trying to survive. And right. so they're not giving us their best foot forward, of right. course. And, and that's why it can be, more difficult or even impossible for everyone to like always feel compassionate um, when sort of confronted by somebody who is just focused on this one thing mm-hmm. as like ugly as it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so they're not going, they're not going to be the, the nicest person. They might make you feel uncomfortable. Well, quite often. I mean, I'm approached by people. I've been yeah. getting approached by people who have been panhandling my entire life. And yeah, a lot of them can be extremely aggressive you know, like don't take no for an answer. It can be very uh, yeah. forceful about it. It can be intimidating. Um, it, you know, it, just as many times it's something passive. It's somebody sitting there with a sign. But I mean, the larger mm-hmm. issue for me is, I, you know, I'm not just, I'm not playing devil's advocate because yeah. I agree with everything you're saying, but I also recognize why VCU and the city would be motivated to do what they're doing that they see I mean, yeah. a positive force for growth in the city, I believe, is the population of people that have been brought to Richmond because they went to VCU that don't know anything about the generations of racism and class shit that goes on in this town. And they're just new blood. Yeah. And, and all, you know, that they'll come here and they'll go to school and they'll stay maybe and breathe some life. and New blood you know, is money. good, but new blood is also makes me cautious because I mean, like you said, it's good to have people who aren't like totally bogged down by the history here. But I also think folks who have no understanding of the history here create a lot of blunders. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of 
have a lot of disdain for VCU. Um, it, it doesn't teach like I, the institution. You didn't go there or no, did, I did no, not I go did, there. I did actually. Well, did you? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, just, my uncle gave me this shirt, <laughs> so I wouldn't purchase this on my own. And I have yet to attend a VCU basketball game. I only attended the basketball riots. They were quite fun. Um, mm. But I mean, you, for instance, journalists in Richmond. I noticed over the past year or so that the journalists who were interviewing me for news stories had no background. Mm-hmm. That because of the way that, you know, media in this country sort of works, which is that it doesn't so well. Right. Um, is that... The overall fourth estate? You yeah, mean? the whole uh-huh. fourth estate. It doesn't pay journalists well. It's hard to keep journalists in a city. Um, a lot of, you know, there's fewer and fewer jobs in journalism. And so there's a lot more moving around from city to city to city mm-hmm. by journalists. And so we sort of have a bunch of old heads in Richmond, like Holmberg and Chris Dovey right. and Michael Paul Williams. And then we have... A lot of people who've only been here for six months, mm-hmm. the the amount of journalists who are reporting on Richmond News who've been here since only 2012 is astounding mm-hmm. um, in TV and print. Um, and so what we end up with is they'll cover a news They're just story. They're to get into a small market to maybe move into a big market. Right. right. And so when they cover a news story, they might adequately cover what happened, you know, on Friday. The who, what, but they where, don't how, know. <laughs> they don't know how what happened on a Friday is connected to what happened two years ago on a Tuesday, right. and they don't have a reference to sort of give a deeper understanding and larger context to things that go on. And so we're we're missing like the big picture. And in a place like Richmond, where so much of what goes on is all about who you know and the networks of right. people, if you miss the bigger picture, that larger context that happens over time. Then, then you're not really understanding what's happening right. today. And you're not, you're not going to be successful either because this is an insider town. Whatever success means, you're not going to be that. Yeah. Like, you know, you're not going to make your way in this town. You have to know something or know someone. You really do. Yeah. But it's, I mean, I, I think about this stuff deeply as I'm driving around. I mean, I'm for a, cat, uh, pa- a compassionate <clears throat> society. I recognize the fact that capitalism is a very basic form of its trade you know mm-hmm. i do this for you you do that right. for me it's transactional um it's it's pretty cool as long as people aren't cheating at it right you know as long as people aren't getting together and and bending the rules breaking like getting the rules, massive government fucking, subsidies yeah, and, I'm, yeah i'm really i have a major problem with all of the fucked up ways that um the selfishness of a few individuals who want to get rich quick Right. Fuck us all over. And then we all have yeah. to pick up the check. And like the bailing out the that, banks and stuff. Yeah. Well, that's a different type of situation. I mean, yeah. you and me got our money in banks. If we, if they didn't bail those banks out, our money's gone. No, I, I, I guess I was referring more toward, towards the like, uh, what is it? Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac with right. the mortgages um, and those well, all bailouts. All that stuff was backed by people you know banks and people's money so what a bank is is all of our money being invested and in houses and all kinds of other shit yeah and if they fuck that up then they don't have our money anymore and we will go crazy if we can't get our money because most people think mary poppins yeah most people think banks have like a box with their money right it's all probably they've not really thought about it and if they really yeah. thought about it, they wouldn't put their money in there. But if they don't put their money in there, their money's not worth anything. Mm-hmm. You know, the paper money is not worth shit if it's not buying stuff and it's not being circulated and yeah. whatever. If we all stick our money in our mattress, then our money's worthless. Right. So uh, I, but I like point that out since we're talking about that because right. that is a ca- often put that like a bunch of business people failed and they still were rewarded. But if they were allowed to fail, it would have had huge repercussions mm. on the fabric of our 
you know, are the right. smallest, the innocent people would have really gone out. I guess, but what was know. interesting with that, though, is that the institutions were bailed out, but not the folks who were holding the mortgages. You know, so there were tons of foreclosures sure. for those individuals, and they kind of got fucked over. And that shit is real fucked up. Like, you know, like, yeah, if we if we were going to bail out the banks who who the were unwisely is, is all of doing their business. by shit that wasn't there. You know, somebody needed to yeah. get paid for what, who sold so that house. It's so insane. Yeah, yeah, it is. Why the pretend money? <laughs> but the, the, the interesting thing about this, though, is that ultimately what money is is an expression of trust right. and, and faith. In, and like faith in the sense of business faith, like I trust you for this, you trust me for that, then we have something. Right. If we don't trust each other, we have nothing. And the reason we have been successful as monkeys you know, who've become what we've become is that we work well together. Mm. Most of the, I mean, we've done amazing things together right. so far and we have to work together to do this. But then if we don't trust each other, then we can't function as a group. And that's, what's been going on since 2008 is nobody trusts, uh, investors. They don't trust the banks. They don't. Yeah. Trust, well, you know, we probably shouldn't at this point in America, there's gotta be a major change. I think in the way that this society, you know, in North America has has been going. It's not sustainable. It's not sustainable economically, environmentally, et cetera, et cetera. Like right. there's there's no there's no area in which aside from making those few people very wealthy, there's no there's no area in which our current path has been successful. Mm-hmm. I mean, like how you said that your your dad worked at Philip Morris in the factory and so y'all were middle class, you know. We've lost our middle class. Right. We don't. You, you we hardly have factories left. Yeah, and and the places we do have, they don't pay people. Dude, my dad's actually one of those guys that was born to uh, parents without a uh, education past mm-hmm. fourth or fifth grade. Mm. They both grew up on farms. My grandfather started his own plumbing business, worked as a plumber's apprentice, built, saved enough money to buy land, built houses himself. Nice. Dang, he built several <laughs> yeah, that's houses badass. himself. You know, like. And he wasn't any, I mean, he remained this very humble, old school, salt yeah. of the earth kind of guy. My dad then went from there, got more education, joined, actually delivered papers to save the money to go to college, mm-hmm. got loans, went in the ROTC, went in the yeah. army for a while, got out of the army, got a job at Philip Mars. Philip Mars took very good care of him and yeah. paid for my sister to go to college. Nice. All of these. Yeah. Know. That's, that's, I mean, that's sort of like how it used to be. And I feel like one issue is that that's how. Most of the people who are of the age to be in places of power still sort of see the world as that being this this feasible dream, this mm-hmm. feasible um, path that people can choose to take. And what they miss is like that. I mean, even VCU, like v, like you said, you know, VCU bringing all these people here, getting them interested in our city. It can be a really positive thing if they stay, if they start new businesses that employ people. You know, that, that's all yeah, fantastic. Point, are they giving any money to the city just voluntarily? I don't know. I I'm wonder about sure. that because I know a friend of mine's dad is a, um, a lawyer. He was at this party and I said, what's the big deal about VCU buying up a bunch of buildings and land that nobody wants? Is mm-hmm. it because every block they take is, is lost tax revenue yeah. in the city because yeah. they don't pay taxes because they're exempt. Technically they're a non-profit. Right. Yeah. So maybe the campaign should be. To guilt VCU into contributing money, if you right. know, if well, they don't want to see the homeless people in Monroe Park in their in the middle of their what's basically yeah. with their quad, uh-huh. what they'd like to be their what quad, they would like to be their quad, right? Um, and they don't want to see homeless people and all of this stuff going on there. Provide an alternative. Okay, well, two, okay, two things really fast. Mm-hmm. One one is like that 
something that I think is important with VCU and is also happening nationally, which is sort of a major difference in the in the path that people have an option for, is student debt. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, this whole idea that you could go to high school, go to college, get a job, and then buy your house is becoming less and less feasible for many people because right. of the increase, like the inflation of college costs without a corresponding inflation in wages. And that's actually um, a relationship maybe between the colleges and lending institutions because the lending institutions are making all this money and, right. and interest. Well, and off of- I mean, for instance, VCU, they, they, they raise their, um, their tuition costs every year. They just announced that they're raising it another 3.5% this year and they're going to start charging a library fee. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that's not because of their lenders. That's because VCU is building giant, brand new ostentatious buildings on a monthly basis it seems mm. like so because they are very interested in having the biggest like fanciest as new right. as they can get structures they're constantly increasing it and every tuition increase means that the kids who graduate from VCU are going to have that much more baggage with them which is going to inhibit their ability to start businesses you know which is going to inhibit their ability to buy houses so what is your feeling about businesses and starting businesses i mean are you in that respect a capitalist like you back that sort of capitalism i don't i don't i'm not a capitalist i don't back that sort of capitalism like theoretically Mm -hmm. but i'm also a realist and i understand the context in which we currently live you know and as much fun as it would be to like run around going no businesses wah that that wouldn't accomplish anything um you know, I think that the step towards a better world is to create self-thinking individuals. Um, and I think that helping like alleviate suffering is like the number one positive thing Mm -hmm. that anybody could be doing. And if creating jobs, if creating jobs with living wages is a thing that helps alleviate suffering for the people of Richmond, then let's do that for now. Mm -hmm. You know, and if there's, you know, I would, I would love to see us move from local businesses to local worker owned co-ops. That would be amazing. Um, but we have to get there. Yeah. You know? But, oh, okay. And the other thing, though, besides the 80,000, is you were talking about VCU and, oh, if they would provide an alternative. Mm-hmm. So I have a really great anecdote about the alternative to Monroe Park that VCU tried to create and which have, has already failed. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of it, the Conrad Center. No. Well, that does sound familiar, actually. So I can't remember the year that it started. It was within the past decade. Um, VCU, like you said, they want to get the homeless people out of Monroe Park because they really wish it was their quad. And so they provided all the funding to do remediation on a toxic piece of land um, down on 17th Street or 18th Street across from the Richmond City oh. Jail. Mm-hmm. And... But what, the, the sort of super fun site. I, yeah, I believe so. I forget this. this I remember specific you details. talking about this in city the city council. Thing. Yeah, so they and nobody can get there. It's nobody can open. get there. The homeless people didn't didn't want it there. There wasn't good transportation there. You know, it was extremely inaccessible for anybody who was old or had any sort of disability or arthritis or anything like that. It wasn't open all the time, so you'd have to walk there for breakfast walk away, walk there for lunch, walk away. Walk, you know, like it, it didn't work. It didn't actually meet the needs or the wants of the homeless population. And even though they put all this money towards it, it failed last last April um, because their bureaucratic sort of attempts at dealing with a population that they don't really respect or, you know, take input from, it failed. They didn't even have the money to keep going. 
And so it's been closed. And so that's sort of why a lot of us treat them with skepticism because mm-hmm. their approach to provide, to provide an alternative to Monroe Park was disrespectful as all get out to the homeless population, um, logistically badly done, and it, and financially it failed. Mm-hmm. And so there's no trust there. You know, like you said, we have to, we have, to have this trust between people. Right. There's no trust between the homeless population um, and folks in solidarity with them and VCU because their whole approach is out of sight, out of mind. We're not going to listen to you. We're sure. not going to actually they, – they weren't actually solving a problem. They were doing what they wanted but right. not what was going to work. Right. And they weren't interested in listening to all the people who at that time, including a lot of the major churches downtown, mm-hmm. who told them this is a bad plan. You shouldn't yeah. do this. And they, they didn't have any – any ears for that they had no interest in listening and really hearing what people were saying so you know they, they've sort of had their opportunity and they they blew it so they, they would have to do something major to sort of gain trust back with the mm-hmm. people of richmond well it's an interesting thing that you when you talk about like even things that were started with the best intentions all human nature fucks them all up because the systems are good like for instance a union and i was a part of a union for I was in the United Food and Commercial Workers, actually, union. Oh, for, yeah. I know a bunch of the guys in there. <laughs> and this was in um, when I was in Minnesota, and we were actually a local out of New York, and some weird shit went on where that local was the local for all of the restaurant depots all over the country. Huh. And I always thought it was fishy, and the reason totally. I actually joined and got active in the union and read the contract and became the shop steward is because I wanted to make sure there actually was a union and this wasn't some bullshit. Right, right, right. <laughs> and I became fairly convinced that it was legit. Yeah. You know, they did respond to me. The things that the contract said were going to happen happened. Yeah. And, and, but then I've been about, uh, maybe a year or half, uh, six months into me being the shop steward, a bunch of guys from DC showed up and, you know, announced to us that all, that local was under indictment and an alt for racketeering, extortion, all the old, oh, old no. fashion. Yeah, the old shit. classic. <laughs> And the cl- right, and these guys all were named like DeFazio and whatever, <laughs> and apparently they were a mafia-backed local that was actually um, may yeah. have even colluded. I, I don't want to think this about the company I work for, but they might have been formed to keep the actual UFCW out of right to keep uh, these, they, to give you guys a little so you wouldn't ask pay, for a lot. I don't yeah. want to go into this because I don't want to shit where I eat, but. <laughs> um, <laughs> The, the laws of the union and, and, yeah. all the, and, and the things that are there, the, the federal government's labor laws, the state labor laws, all of these things, uh, the rules of capitalism, mm-hmm. the things that we've arrived at since capitalism sort of, you know, our version of it began in America. Right. They're all good laws. They're all good plans. And, and if people would stop trying to figure out ways to wriggle around them. <laughs> for their selfish needs. Right. I mean, because the amount of power, for instance, that's been lost by unions over the past hundred years is outrageous. Because a lot of those people have fucked it up for everybody else. Well, even know. before it was that, it you know, before you had sort of like the era of like the big union corruption, um, you know, there were there were major attempts by the, the sort of industrial capitalists, you know, of that era to use whatever laws they could to hamper you know, the legal rights of folks who are organizing. And, and like, I agree that I, I always kind of have a, a suspicious feeling about any of the big unions, just like I do about any big corporation, you know, and, mm-hmm. it, and it goes back to some of the basic, the basic things of, of you know, of anarchy. I, I think that if you have a hierarchy, if you have a large institution, if you've got, you know, this bureaucracy where the people at the top don't actually 
know or understand or give a shit about the people at the bottom well, really is going to go actually, badly. They actually <laughs> shouldn't have any power. I mean, yeah. I mentioned the, the AA thing earlier. Uh, my my experience with that organization and its organizational framework yeah. has been really liberating to me and how I interact with this world. Not mm-hmm. just when I'm in those one-hour things right. here and there and not just about getting sober. It's the idea that we are governed by principles, mm-hmm. not people. Yeah, exactly. Not personalities. Like... Because all we recognize, and it's very easy for a bunch of recovering alcoholics and drug addicts to recognize their imperfection. Right. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're, we've all acknowledged that we're fuck ups and that we really have to let, we can't let any of ourselves get carried away. We can't let any of our egos, we have to all be kept in check. Exactly. But that's really what our government is checks and balances. It's, it's supposed, to, supposed be. to be like yeah, that. That nobody's supposed just, to be too powerful. Nobody's supposed to get too carried away. Yeah. I think it's know? just a scale issue, really. I mean, it is. The 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 further removed you get, the more alienation there is, you know, and the more alienation there is, the the less you have to listen and the less you have to like. Well, I think it's feel really, the results of your actions. It's a human nature thing, and I think yeah. this is a George Orwell Animal Farm kind of a thing. Right. Is that the what? And I talked to a, another uh, probably mutual friend of ours, Bijan. Yeah. About yeah, yeah. you know anarchy when he was on here, and it's you know the or the corruption of power. Right. That. That corruption is like the corruption of drug addiction. Mm-hmm. You don't see it coming even if you're the, that person. Right. You know, it's a little bit here, a little bit there. I don't think Nixon started out such a, a megalomaniacal guy. Right. I think he made a bunch of small compromises. Right. Led, and they just added up, added up. Yeah. yeah. And, no. and we're all capable of that. And yeah. so, you know, loving kindness, kind of compassion for everyone includes to me, the people who are in these positions of power right. and influence. I just feel like you know. we also have to knock them down off the pedestals in a lovingly and kind way because nobody, nobody can kind of handle that. You know, mm-hmm. no human is equipped to gracefully hold hold those sorts of positions in power without making all those compromises. No, and, I mean, and that's why we have the, the government we have. You know, it was created that way because the guys yeah. that set it up recognized that because they'd seen it. You but know, it's in just a form that, of monarchy and yeah. all of that. And oh, but we are so close to monarchy is outrageous. I mean, yeah. you know, it's. I feel like the attempt was made back in the day to to try to prevent it. But they couldn't sort of have foreseen what what we've turned into, mm-hmm. um, and probably if they if they could have predicted it, they would have figured out a way to make it more checks and balances well, or really tighter. Optimistic. And the, yeah, the thing is, is that what really tests any economic system is resources. Mm. And America, the, this this continent yeah. has been largely undespo- had been largely undespoiled up until the 1400s. Mm-hmm. The people who were living on it were small enough in number and lived symbiotically enough right. that it, you know it was this was extremely fertile. Mm-hmm. So I pretty much I think that no matter what system you orchestrated, it would have been relatively stable mm-hmm. until people start starving. You know. Until right. you do some bullshit like over farm parts of the Midwest until yeah. it, you remove Dust all the bowls, topsoil, right? Yeah. And then you got problems and you yeah. got, you got too many, you got people moving into the cities looking to be supported, mm-hmm. you know, um, every time something like that happens and we haven't even really seen that here. Yeah. So our system hasn't even really been tested, but as we get fucked with and as things start to happen, we see the screws tighten. We see the freedoms go away. Exactly. We see these compromises, these little compromises mm-hmm. made here and there. Because, um, you know, we are the, still the same people that, 
you know, were freaking out in uh, the French Revolution uh, when there wasn't enough bread. You know, right. we're we're not. We haven't changed really. We have had. A, you know, a, a different idea of a government here, but we've also had it in a really rich place. You know? Yeah, we've. I mean, America is a land of privilege. Even even though we have many folks without privilege or without the same privileges, in a worldview, yeah, we, yeah, we I mean, we've been being, very I've very been privileged for the last five years, and I've still had a very nice life. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's it's a much different situation. And I had to live with two other guys, and I had to, that sounds terrible. <laughs> I had to curtail a lot of things that yeah. I you know would, but were ultimately turned out to be luxuries. Yeah. You know? I still, you know, could live a very good life. You still can live a very good life. Unfortunately, you do have the message coming in your face all the time that you're nobody unless you have these things. These oh, the, the consumerism right, push. Right. Well, it's a very pacifying sort of. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, consumerism is pretty deliberately used by capitalists to to pacify the masses and also to give them something to do in America. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, because we don't. We don't make much anymore. Right. It's we're. I don't even understand sort of how how, this is how America, yeah, is is still going the way that we are because we're not manufacturing, um, we're not producing. We're billions or trillions of dollars in debt um, because we're purchasing all these things from companies that mm-hmm. used to be American companies, but now they're multinationals, so they can get tax breaks by being based somewhere else. Right. And yeah, I don't. I don't know. It doesn't I don't make any how it's sense. Working either. I mean, it's basically <laughs> being subsidized. Yeah, and the people who or bubble. It's a bubble too. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's. I don't know. I'm not exactly like an economist. I'm not even close. But yeah. I, I mean, I've listened to various conversations about this sort of thing, and something that struck me. This isn't even an economic thing as much as it's. Um. um I think a, a chaos model kind of a thing is that, you know. Bef- there's a lot of imbalances that have occurred since Europeans came over here. Yeah. They've been agrarian imbalances. They've been population imbalances and Mm -hmm. all kinds of things. The potato famine in Ireland happened because they came over here and they found a product and took it back to a place where it didn't have natural Mm. uh, predators and they were able to grow it in great abundance. And then the population flourished on this new food source. Ah. There's a shit ton more Irish people because there was these potatoes. Hey, what's Over up? Over a short period of time, I don't know how long it was, then the fucking potatoes got a rot. Right. And they all died. Because they were too dependent on that one. And those people went with it. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like we're looking at something like that in this whole country. No, I, I would agree. We've artificially inflated a whole lot of shit based on a, a status quo that it would appear that people aren't even... The, the sort of mindset that we've cultivated here... Um, isn't ab- about like p- sustaining anything. It was never yeah. about that. Nobody came across the Atlantic Ocean to sustain something. They right. <laughs> yeah. To get rich. To get rich quick. You know? Yeah. And so the whole conqueror mindset, which, yeah, uh, there's still people with that. Manifest and it's destiny. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> Those assholes. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in communal living. You yeah. Know? Uh, I mean, I, I'm interested in like, and I, like I said before, I think this branding movement is making it imperative to to pe- businesses to realize that um, we have a lot of power to shit talk them, and we can find out what about them should be shit talked. Right, and, and their own employees can shit talk them mm-hmm. on the internet and on you know on Twitter and yeah. all of this kind of stuff, and that they are going to have to start cultivating the environment yeah. that they want to do business in, not by being forced to by taxes, but because. It's going to make economic sense. You will. You won't. You right. Know, that'll be the thing that decides between me buying 
this from you or from someone else. It's like how you treat your employees, how, what yeah. your policies are. You don't I'm, buy that? No, you're skeptical. I, I like, I partially buy it, but I also like every time I see some major corporation, you know, having some commercial talking about whatever yada yada good thing they've done, my brain immediately goes, well, they did that for the tax break. I mean, mm-hmm. And they because did it to be known, it's they, a form of advertising. Well, I mean, and if they Pause did, it, if they did it for the tax break, then they're not really doing a benefit because then they get to explicitly choose where but this where money goes to, people, right? But but I mean that <laughs> they're they're major corporations that pay less in taxes than I do, mm-hmm. and I live in poverty. Percentage wise, you, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, like literally, I'm pretty sure. Like they you don't mean like you. You pay eight hundred dollars, and that, that and they pay none. They paid eight. They're they're nothing. big com- yeah. companies that don't pay any money in taxes because because of all the things they write off, because New of all the subsidies and, they get, mm-hmm. and because they make tax deductible donations to nonprofit organizations, so they don't have to pay the taxes, and it, and it's cheaper for them, and it makes them look better to make those donations, and then to talk about how they made those charitable donations. Um, I mean, and a lot of times those donations are to the sorts of nonprofits which. I don't think should be allowed to be nonprofits like mm-hmm. the the Salvation Army and the Red Cross and these these nonprofit organizations who spend like fifty percent of their money on their overhead. Right. You, you, we have we have a huge the nonprofit industry is outrageous. Yeah, it is you know? outrageous because there, there's a guy and, and, and he ran a nonprofit that really did me a lot of good. Yeah. Uh, at one point, but he lives quite ostentatiously. Mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. and that's a little troubling. Yeah, to, to look at it, and say, well, you don't make po- profit, but you pay yourself, yeah. like the CEO. But you can give yourself a, a bonus every year. Yeah, you're yeah. paying yourself eighty hundred thousand dollars a year. Exactly. It's, that it's, is. I mean, that's one of those loopholes that allows because uh, that allows the system to be existing and allows for the unequal share of power mm-hmm. and money. But I, you know, I like the idea that inherently selfish corporations are being forced to do things. It doesn't matter if they believe it. Mm-hmm. They're doing it rather than spend the money that they used to spend on Madison Avenue to just put a dumb TV spot on. Right. They're spending that money to do something substantive in a community. And it doesn't, yeah. the, the ends justify the means in that particular I think, case. Yeah, I think that that's good. But I, I guess I'm also, I was also feeling skeptical about like the consumer boycott thing. Because, I mean. Well, it's not consumer boycott. It's like. I'm going to talk like yeah. I, I'm going to undermine any message that you put out there professionally. Like you, you want to go out and say that um, I don't know Philip Morris is this, that, and the other thing, and people can get on the internet and they could communicate with each other and say, "No, you're poisoning everyone. You're killing right. it. you know." Yeah. And, and no matter how much money you spend on advertising, the the that right now the ability for people to communicate with each other is is starting to eclipse that, you know? Right. Okay. So, that's true. Because until they, until they privatize the internet fully, <laughs> right. Which you're you working know. on the yeah. net neutrality things. Exactly. But I mean, at this point, it's, like, yeah, it's a matter of education. You can't pull, right. And, and, and people believe people. Yeah. Like, and that's, that's actually the slogan of a company I know that is, does branding. <laughs> really? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and they don't believe advertising. They yeah. don't believe institutions. They believe they're, members of their community. But it gets tricky because you know. then you're totally going to have corporations paying people to be on Twitter to act like a person and just tweet about shit. Sure. You know, and I mean, there's all kinds of black hat shit yeah. like that going on, but it's very transparent. I mean, you can yeah. tell when it is that if you know anything that you can yeah. tell by the, I mean, who the ass kissers are. <laughs> right. I mean, I would never like, 
I mean, again, like when I've gotten sort of invited to help people uh, raise their search engine or, you know, to do the search engine optimization. And I say, you know, I think the best way to do that is by doing things with your website that people are interested in. Totally. So do it organically. Do it because you actually are what you say you are. If you're, Mm -hmm. you know, um, if you're this company that's involved in this kind of business, write about that business, write about the field, write about all these things that are going on, make people want to come to your website, read about it. Mm -hmm. And that way you can be walking it. And talking, like talking. It. so yeah. I'm hopeful in that regard of yeah. you know just, things moving in that direction because you can't hide, you know. Yeah, I and just you, I think we're it's I think I just worry that it's not enough. I guess I'm a worrier, so I, I worry that it, it it'll take more than, or I, I I worry that those the companies that are big are so big that a they're gonna they're gonna be able to sort of outspeak. You know the sort of grassroots attempts at. If they um, do get to take over the internet, they will. That, yeah, and, and if they do get to take over the internet, but right it's now a you don't look at their advertising, over. you don't read their messaging, you don't. Yeah. What they're exerting a lot of influence over policy and yeah. laws, and that's a big fucking deal. But you know we are. So, but I mean, they also don't is, care too when 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 we've got so many companies that are like practically monopolies. I mean, take Dominion Power for instance. You know, Dominion Power is a monopoly on electric electricity in Virginia and several other states, mm-hmm. and 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 they're like kind of evil assholes who are destroying the environment in Appalachia, um, who aren't really doing hooey to invest in more sustainable methods of getting electricity, like right. solar, or wind, or mm-hmm. you know any number of things we could be doing to make, you know, to set Virginia up to sort of be sustainable in the long run so that even if the economy collapses, we can still have electricity here. Mm -hmm. They're not doing those things. And as much as it might hurt their feelings or make their marketing people freak out, you know, if everyone was on Twitter talking about how they support mountaintop removal or how clean coal is bullshit, it won't affect their bottom line because we all, if we don't have electricity in our houses, they'll get condemned by the city mm. and we have, you know, all right. Yeah, it's correct. If your electricity or your water are cut off, the city can come by and put a condemned sticker on your house. Mm. Um, That's why I've seen so many of those yes. recently around here. Um, but you know, like, so, so what do we do in situations like that where we can make everyone on Twitter say dominions, a bunch of sons of bitches, but how does that create change when they don't have a competition? Well, I mean, I'll use Donald Sterling as a, an example, I mean, that guy, I think, thought he was a monopoly and thought he mm. couldn't be touched. And if the right thing happened, he, you know, yeah. it, it, he is, he's lost, he has no power. It is all being stripped from him. And the people who are running from him are not running from him because they disagree with him. They're running from him because he is brand toxic. You know? Right, right, right. Like yeah, yeah, their franchises are going to suffer. They're, they're, you know. Yeah. And so it, it winds up being like this great reverse to me that the the we because capitalism is the governing force really yeah. it's business is not our democracy that's running shit the fear of not of the, of somebody losing their market share because something bad gets out about them is far more potent to them than who right. gets voted president or any that's, of that no kind of it's, stuff. it's true but it, it also has to be the right type of thing it has to be true well it, it has to be true but i mean unfortunately until we get more people to care about the environment it, they won't care we what we reveal people, about like toxic crap. Some it has company to be does. a very specific thing. Yeah. I mean, like, look, I mean, there's a great book you should read by Jonathan Franzen called Freedom. If you haven't Mm-mm, read, it, I haven't read it and it's kind of about this balance, like, you know, yeah. kind of a guy getting a birding preserve put together in uh, Appalachia and the way he does it is he gets a coal company to declare this area 
Um, so he ends up doing something really fucked up for the environment to protect these birds. And mm-hmm. the message of this story is how hard it is, even with the best of intentions, to do something that doesn't um, have some kind of unforeseen chaotic um, consequence. Right. And what I think about is that I just decided I'm going to try and grow some food in this backyard. Yeah. And squirrels have fucked with my shit. Birds have fucked with my shit. And bugs have fucked with my shit. And I've become very... Um, like I'm going to fuck with their shit. Like, <laughs> I sit up on my porch with a BB gun and I find myself shooting at birds with a BB gun. You need you hobbies. <laughs> well, it's no, it's the issue that like what I'm suddenly indignant because uh-huh. I've invested right. time and effort into mm-hmm. something and my resources are being destroyed by some element. Right. So I'm, I'm becoming yeah. very selfish and solipsistic and mm-hmm. narcissistic about this. And I'm like, okay, the answer to the problem is, I'm going to run all of these fucking creatures off and then my shit will grow and I will have my food and I will, you know, right. I mean, it's, it's lettuce, but pretend it's money, you know, um, I mean, food, food is much more is. dependable than money. It's I would say at this point, yeah. ultimately, um, but well, you see that, that I, I'm a live and let kind of guy and suddenly I find yeah. myself and, and, you know, I kill, I, I run some birds off. I accidentally killed one. Like I thought a BB gun would just scare them and they would have a Pavlovian, thing you know or scenarian thing like i don't want to go in that yard there's something that stings over there right but you know i I did accidentally like off one and the cats ate it but now there are these worms on all my plants and maybe the birds would be eating those exactly yeah (laughs) maybe they were just hanging out trying to eat the worms you never know but it's just very easy for that thing to happen that like you want to it is it is but i think that it's also easier for that to happen when we're isolated um because I am quite isolated. If yeah. your neighbors also had lettuces, and then if your lettuces too got far eaten from up, the microphone. Oh, sorry. If, if you <laughs> want to sit back, just pull no, it's it. okay. okay. Um, you know, but it, it's because it's because we need community to survive, and mm-hmm. most of us don't have that, or we need community to thrive. Mm-hmm. We can survive without community, but it takes us more often to that place of fear. Like mm-hmm. I have this theory that desperation. Yeah. I have a theory that people generally speaking are all of our behaviors either rooted in one of two things is either coming out of a place of fear or it's coming out of a place of love. And almost all the time when we're acting out of a place of fear, we're going to do something not so great, mm-hmm. you know, and almost all the time when we're acting yes. out of a place of love, we're going to do something awesome. Right. Or faith, you know, and, yeah. and, and I don't mean faith in God. I mean, faith in, what's going on amongst you and the, uh, you yeah. and the other monkeys in the Which community. Which I would, I would feel like is this like faith. loving yeah. sort of feeling. Right. It's coming out of a deep-seated place of love. And, mm-hmm. and so like the, the, your, your thing with the birds, that is so common. Um, we live in a city where people are fearful that they won't have enough food. Um, all the time, you know, we're fearful that someone's going to mess with it, that someone's going to get more than we are, that the birds are going to make it so we don't get our crop. You know, the worms are going to eat the leaves on our apple trees. I'm trying to do my business here and the homeless person is going to make it so that all this money I've invested in this business, uh, I'm going to lose it. Nobody's going to want to come to my business. I'm going to, and the, and the homeless person is coming out of a place of fear too. And I think that when people are fearful, they're not good communicators. Um, they're not good listeners. And, and we don't come to the, the good, the, the like sometimes obvious and, and easier solutions to our problems. You know, have you, have you put a net over your lettuce? Have you tried that method to keep the birds off? (laughs) What I, I, well, first I tried this little, uh, foil thing that my mother does to try to scare them cat and I Uh. put snakes over there. 
And yes, they're not going down there now. And now they're these little green fucking worms. And it isn't just yeah. the BB gun. I've run the birds off. They're scared to go down there. So now they're yeah. going down there and eating those goddamn yeah. little green worms. And I don't know. Those it's, little green worms are so nicely specialized in their niche that they perfectly blend in. With the lettuce? Yeah, because I think oh whatever they eat, they're so transparent. They turn exactly the color of what they're on. Neato. Because I squished one and what was inside was it was green. Yeah. Lettuce green. Have you tried, uh, what is it, diet? Something Earth, Diatomitis Earth. No, I mean I just discovered it's the worms bitumous. this morning. I, okay, I noticed that the Where's leaves it? were getting stripped. Yeah, I mean I just I just feel like uh, the 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 solutions to our problems are usually found through other people mm-hmm. or through community. You know, and if if we had a sort of city where we were growing food everywhere, which we totally should be doing, then. One, the loss of one lettuce crop wouldn't even be that big of a deal right. because everybody else on your block would have some lettuce to share with you. Mm-hmm. And and we need it's the scarcity that that makes us all fearful right. and and behave in, in like the ways also, that don't make us feel good on the inside. I agree with you. But I think there's also a, a will element of it mm-hmm. that I'm being fucked with, that I'm trying to do this and I'm being blocked mm-hmm. by something. And how and and then the audacity or or the ego of that saying these things, how dare they get in my way? Because, I mean, that's a lot of why people don't get along in communities is they just feel like they can only see their path right. that they're trying to accomplish. And, yeah. And everyone else is an obstacle. You it's, know? And, which is, like, so wrong. My Like, I, I swear to goodness, I'm going to write a book with this as the title, which is, like, cheesy as crap. But it's a rising tide lifts all boats, you mm-hmm. know. And that point of view helps me out so much because you, you said way earlier in the conversation about, well, you know, what if, what about people who are working really, really hard and someone who's not, not really contributing and not working hard stands in their way. Like, mm-hmm. Lord of mercy, have I encountered that situation? Because mm-hmm. I bust my butt all the time, like at home, at jobs, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm totally familiar with that situation. And it's really easy to get into that really shitty internal negative space where you're feeling kind of like bitter about how much you're putting in and how mm-hmm. little other people are putting mm-hmm. in. And never from that space have I has that like resulted in me somehow right. getting other people to put it's in not more. Positive. It doesn't. It doesn't work. But it, it is just, a thing that we have to acknowledge. It that, is a thing. Like, that, yeah, and, and not shame, right? That, that right. Like a guy like my dad, for instance, who did invest in this city by buying a house, fixing yeah. it up, helping to improve the the uh, property values in Churchill. His concerns were never respected, never uh, regarded or whatever, because rightfully, the majority of the concern of the city council of Richmond was with poor black people in this city. And I had the experience of going to Bellevue Elementary School Mm -hmm. and struggling with my education and being told point blank, my mother being told point blank by teachers there that he's white, he's going to be all right, we're not worried about him. And I'm not saying this Mm -hmm. to be, you know, an idiot Pollyanna reactionary you know, yeah. reverse bigotry kind of thing. I'm just saying that um, there's an overwhelming dis- um, focus on this thing is is not enfranchising the entire community right. together. And then those people, and this is the problem that I feel with most. Ra- like I consider myself a radical, and by radical, what I like about the idea of radical is a, is a Howard Zinn mm-hmm. kind of an idea. And I think also the biological radical idea is that. You know, the way that we have evolved so far is mutation, mm-hmm. you know, that all of these things in a system are working yeah. a certain way. And then something comes along that actually doesn't belong in that system, but ends up providing a much needed 
kick in the pants for survival. Right. Right. And I like to be radical in that way, not particularly fitting in, in, into any system, really mm-hmm. trying to be myself, being a mutant or yeah. a mutation yeah. or whatever. Um, I'm, I follow the Mark Twain thing. Whenever I find myself in the majority, I rethink my position. Totally. But I have a problem with, let's say I'm really for a critical mass kind of a thing, right? Where people riding their bikes down the middle of a, yeah. of a street and just taking it over. I'm against the fuck you that's behind that. Mm-hmm. I'm against this, that, that all of the people in the automobiles have been depersonalized into you guys are the problem. Right. We're the solution. There's an alienation there. Yes. And that is, we're mm-hmm. not going to get anywhere with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's yeah. actually, we're actually the people, whether they choose to present themselves as a crusty, like you sort of do mm-hmm. or me who is ideologically sort of like that, but chooses yeah. not to present myself that way. Cause I prefer to be camel camouflaged. Um, we actually have to manage up and be kinder to the mindless it, well, yeah. <laughs> people that are stuck in a, the status quo, you know? And that, and that's the only way to sort of create change. The fuck you is not going to get no, people on the, your the side. The fuck you doesn't, doesn't get people on your side. I will say that the fuck you, whether it's critical mass, whether it's a riot that happens somewhere, sometimes the fuck you is a necessary steam release sort of mm-hmm. valve. And I also think that sometimes the fuck you is a necessary um, part of empowerment for people who feel very disempowered. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily with critical mass, but, you, you know, when you when you have well, like, like after the, uh, the police shoot somebody, yeah. you know, and you have a community that that we isn't to being have listened a to conversation about and this. you know and but when you when you have all that emotions when you have people who feel like they can just be shot by the cops at any point because they can mm-hmm. largely because of their skin color you know um it is it is very empowering for people to be able to take the streets to be able to be a little fuck you mm-hmm. um and but i the hope they don't is, stay in that moment very misdirected or yeah. not directed no it's, it, a, it's true it's kind of a tantrum and mm-hmm. like and like the Occupy Wall Street thing, I thought was very good because it raised so much awareness, mm-hmm. and it really got a conversation going. But then the people were not very directed and organized. Where do we go with this energy? And it splintered, right. and it yeah. became pretty impotent pretty quick. Totally, it, it's true. I mean, it's. I don't think that the when when I saw Occupy happen, I mean, I, I was like, I don't know where. I don't think they're going to like accomplish like a direct goal with this but i was you know i was like this is a lot of people who if they weren't here they they would have been at home watching television mm-hmm. which is what they do with most of their time before this so mm-hmm. it's a step in the right direction it's not a solution right. but but they're still every, preaching to the choir too like i mean people like yeah very few people were converted there, by that but there were a lot of people like at least even in richmond that i saw there were a lot of people who wouldn't even be called like armchair radicals before the occupy stuff like they weren't they weren't at all politically active in any realm even in terms of like helping the democratic party they weren't doing a dang thing politically Mm -hmm. and i was pleasantly surprised to find that out of occupy we actually did get a whole bunch of people like new faces who Mm -hmm. weren't political actors in the city who weren't working for the community and they still are Mm -hmm. you know and and yeah there are a lot of people who who already knew the stuff and who you're probably back at home watching television now, but you know, even getting well, ten like, or twenty people is enough. a big change. Yeah, and I, I keep wanting to bring this because I know that you don't drink, but I, I, yeah, you chose, you just chose that path. I used uh, to drink and do drugs. Yeah, and yeah. did was did you hit a bottom with that, and you just sort of kind of pulled it? Do you mind talking? No, about I don't mind talking now? about that. Um, I didn't like hit a bottom, but I was 
pretty much a large a large drunken moron Mm -hmm. um and what happened because like i said i've always been political so even when i was drinking heavily i was still political um and i went to a conference in syracuse on like the concept of animal liberation Mm -hmm. and there's some kids there with like some straight edge shirt i don't remember what it said but it was something and i didn't quite get the point of the message so Mm -hmm. after a session like a workshop um I went up to him. Well, I've always been very direct. And I was like, hey, what does that shirt mean? Mm-hmm. You know, what's that all about? And we ended up getting into a debate because they were straight edge and it was a straight edge shirt. Um, and in the debate, they sort of pointed out all the ways that like drugs and drinking got in the way of activism and got in the way of being able to be the type of person who can create change. Mm-hmm. And I saw that reflected in myself, you know, and, you know, like in your inability to wake up in time to do stuff right. you know like in in the time sink and the money sink that mm-hmm. drugs mm-hmm. and alcohol are mm-hmm. um in the way it hurts relationships with mm-hmm. people and all that kind of stuff and and like probably the first time ever we had a debate and someone won <laughs> you know like i feel like usually when you have like an argument or a debate it, nothing changes right but i mean no one's converted no one's converted but right. but they convinced me um and I happened to have been there with a friend who was also sober. And so, like, they convinced me. And I was I was mad. Like, I was like, fuck you. Like, I don't want to have to be sober. Fuck you. I'm not doing that. And then, like, I was just like, I have to do this. But fuck, this sucks, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I I went sober, like, that day. And, I mean, it and, like, it helped because I had the friend with me. It helped because we went to, like, a straight edge show. And so I, like, bought a straight edge shirt. And I put mm-hmm. giant black X's on my hands. So I'd have, like, this visual reminder. Right. Pretty sure I wore that shirt for, like, a whole week. <laughs> So I couldn't, you know, like fuck up. Right. Um, yeah. I've committed to this. So call me out if I. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I had friends who kept being like, come on, let's go. Uh, I just be like, nope, can't. can't sorry. Now I got these exes. Yeah. It's, it's too late. <laughs> sorry, guys. <laughs> but well, that's yeah. interesting. And you remind me of when I, I mean, I believed as a lot of people foolishly believe that drinking and drugs is a form of rebellion. Right. Yeah. You know? We're sold and, that. We're sold that belief. Uh, totally. We're sold the belief. It's mm-hmm. actually a form of control. Yes. And. This guy, Glenn Friedman, who actually put out a book of skate photography and, mm. and, and rock and roll photography and shit in like New York in nice. the 90s, said, you know, he, the book was called Fuck You Heroes, actually. And he was mutual friends with someone that I was dating and they were both vegans and they were very hardcore about all of that. And they were also straight edge. And yeah. I was I was vegan because she was. Yeah. And I worked at a health food store, but I really liked my drinking. And I believed, yeah. that, you know, romantically in the artistic connection. Blah, right. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and he was like, man, you know, come on. You know, and he was like a guy, you know, who was good friends with uh, Minor Threat and like Fugazi and like, yeah. you know, all of that. And he was like, seriously, th- tell me something that isn't more conformist than being an alcoholic mm-hmm. and drunk and just mm-hmm. sucking down your Miller and your Budweiser and your yeah. PBR, you know, just totally buying into somebody's marketing campaign and feeding them all this money yeah. and fucking yourself. Like, seriously, man, what's more conformist than mm-hmm. that? And I was like, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, that's the I, last I thing you want to hear. Yeah. So, and the reason, I mean, this big, why I want to bring this in is like, I'm afraid that we, the society, I had to hit a rock bottom before I got sober and I had to, and I needed, and I learned a lot about community and I learned about getting, moving in the direction of getting out of selfishness and self by lending my efforts to, you know, AA is nothing if I'm not contributing to it. Mm -hmm. Um, I I have a long way to go. You know, I get sponsors down at the healing, sponsees down at the healing place and it really gets to be too inconvenient for me. Uh-huh. You know, and I'm, I'm not there yet and I want to be more there, which is why you're here. I think. <laughs> but well, I'm, I'm kind of concerned that we ha- we might have to hit a rock bottom, uh, you know, before we will, f- you know, 
are, are serious enough about yeah. the changes that need to happen because that's the problem is the lack of motivation. It's very hard to get people motivated on ideological grounds yes. and they yes. shift those ideologies quickly based on minor alterations in their life and they're yeah. suddenly, you know, mm-hmm. like just take the whole sixties radical movement. Yeah. They hit middle age. They got maybe a little chagrined and, and fucked over by their explorations and drugs. Maybe they l- looked into the void on acid and they just <laughs> right yeah. back to the fifties. And right. were, like, I mean, it was even, you know, this, we had a return of the McCarthy era sort yeah. of, you know, with Reagan in eighties, jingoism, all of that. And all it took was just a little bit of, um, I don't know, uh, upset. And right. Well, it, I mean, I, I am afraid that you might be right about that as a society, we're, we're just going to have to hit rock bottom before, before we can, you know, kind of have any sort of significant change towards something better. But I also feel like the best thing that I can do or that most anybody could do in the meantime is to do stuff in your community to, to alleviate suffering, like mm-hmm. the the present day suffering, because it, it's too easy to get all nihilist and well, it's all we have to wait till the rock bottoms. So we're not going to do anything. Yeah, it's you know to do stuff that makes people suffer less because any day less that somebody or some animal has to suffer, I feel like it makes a difference is, to that is one a huge starfish. difference exactly. Right. Yeah. And and when you do those positive community things, you build relationships with people, mm-hmm. and relationships with people start weaving this fabric of community, which becomes a safety net that we, we would all need when, when, and if we hit a bottom. Yeah. And I believe and, in that a hundred percent. Yeah. So what do you, I mean, I'm, I, yeah, I actively in my way try to do what I do every day. I, maybe I'm rationalizing or justifying, but like I try to live what I think the new paradigm should be in mm-hmm. my interactions with other people. Yeah. I don't currently motivate myself to do anything more, um, organized than that you know like to go protest something or uh, right whatever i i feel like i'm going to be like you know have the ripple effect like if i'm setting this example i'm doing this attraction not promotion thing like yeah, yeah. you know another way of living but maybe i'm pus- you know maybe i'm just lazy because i see you very active and like what are all of the things that you're doing that besides food not bombs i mean what is can you Check it all off. Yeah. Um, I mean, twice a week, uh, my roommate and I, we, we get like a whole pickup truck load full of produce from a distributor who otherwise would be putting it in the dumpster. Mm-hmm. And we take it to our house and we distribute it like in our yard for the neighborhood because um, we've got a lot of low income and elderly folks um, in the area. So that's twice a week. Once a month for the past almost four years, I've done a monthly grocery distribution where I'm, like the Wingnut Anarchist Collective has partnered with the food bank. And we, they bring like a truck full of food and we distribute it like two bags of groceries to 200 households in the neighborhood, including like some deliveries I have to do to some elderly and disabled folks. Um, we do food, not bombs. We host it at the wingnut like every third month now. So four months what a is year. The wingnut? the wingnut anarchist collective is the house where I live. Um, so it's like a crazy looking radical space. Um, but where, you know, sort of, sort of like a headquarters for being able to do a lot of this stuff and, to to have the resources. Um, right now we have a ridiculous, incredible garden going, which is no thanks to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I do not have the green thumb, but my roommate Tammy has a super green thumb. So, I mean, we're turning it kind of like into a giant edible yard, front and backyard, which is really exciting. Um, and, and then we, and then we're involved like in the local politics stuff, the anti-stadium stuff, the keep Monroe park open and free stuff. Um, 
trying to think what else there is right now. There's always so much in Richmond and, you know, it's the small stuff that keeps changing Mm -hmm. being against venture Richmond and sort of the things that they're up to. Um, and one thing we do, which a lot of other folks, like at least in, uh, the circles I know of don't really appreciate as much as I think they should is we maintain a sober space. Um, and so having a sober house has meant that we can sort of try to support people who are in recovery. Um, and that we try to make it all all inclusive space, like all ages. Um, mm-hmm. When we have events, we had a, like a folk punk show a couple weeks ago, and it was awesome because a fourteen year old came, and it was the first show they'd ever been able to go to because it was a sober show, and their parents came, and their parents were super awesome, you know. And you can like see the positive impact that it has on a fourteen year old who otherwise would be stuck in like alienated internet punk mm-hmm. land, you know, without mm-hmm. actually being able to meet people involved in anything positive. So just being a sober space means that whenever we have like a show or a performance or, you know, whatever we host, cause we do lots of different things periodically. Um, we're able to support neighborhood kids and other people who otherwise, you know, can't go out to a bar. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I hear what you're saying is something that I really am for is you have a good balance of not only are you, saying no to some things you're saying this is the alternative yes exactly I have this alternative because there's you know what is given a lot of protest a bad name is it is just no totally you know? yeah <laughs> like not <clears throat> like this is what we should be doing and like and, and again like i keep wanting to bring it back here because the biggest change in my life was brought about by putting my energy into something else yeah not not doing something like i didn't get sober because i said i'm not drinking anymore I got sober because I'm going to put my energy into a whole different way totally. of life. It, 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 you kind of, I mean, it's that, that cheesy thing. Like my friend and I went to karaoke and we were both sober and he was like, do you want any candy? He pulled out a bunch of candy from his pocket. I was like, oh no, I've got my own. <laughs> like we were both packing candy because yeah. we like, you know, had the, the substitute thing, you, gotta have that you know? Yeah. And, and I think that, yeah, when you, when you're taking any sort of negative habit out of your life, then you, you can't just leave a void. That That's a not going to work. Candy and cigarettes and coffee and all of that stuff. <laughs> They're not necessarily good for you. But. but for me, it's like, you know, going and doing things that I didn't used to do because I couldn't, yeah. like, you know, being active, doing yoga. Like, mm-hmm. um, I mean, in, in, in the case of AA, you have this really organized, positive thing that you can put your effort into, yeah. which is like, there's somebody going to be at, at this place at this time that right. needs your help. And, and you don't have to go looking for them. They yeah, yeah, yeah. Show up totally. There. And it's the yeah. and it's the FaceTime too. Like, mm-hmm. be if you if you get involved in any sort of a positive activity, then you're engaging with people. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I I mean, like how you were you're sort of fretting earlier about whether or not just leading by example, you know, or like putting out a good example into the world was was like a a useful or useful enough sort of a thing. And I mean, I think that it is because everybody has different capacities depending on where they're at in their mm-hmm. lives. You know, in terms of how active they can be, you know, with like going it's out and doing stuff. for me stuff. to be passionate about things, I think is really? my, my <laughs> well, cause I've always been the kind of, per, I'm a Pisces and that I, think, Oh, you fish people. Yeah. I see things from both <laughs> sides and like the Hamlet kind of a thing. It's very hard for me to take action because I can see it. Like I, it's very, mm. you know, I see it from this side. I see it from that side. It's all very confusing. So for me, I have right. to just practice like being the best, 
you know, yeah. beh- person I can be in practicing best. Right. Because I can't. But it. But that's. But I think that's positive. I mean, if you if you go out in the world and you tell like one person something genuine that you you like like about them, some sort of a genuine non creepy compliment a day, or just smiling and saying hello to people. Mm-hmm. It's, it is all these little things that add up to creating a positive world, and mm-hmm. and it helps you because you smile at somebody, they smile back, right? And that makes you be like, yeah. That smiling shit is is powerful. It's pretty good, man. Yeah, it yeah. works. But I'm the uptight Virgo who thinks I'm always right, so mm. I gotta tell other people what they're doing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I have that in me. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but it takes all kinds, right? Yeah. Like we, we need your directed. Uh, exactly. focus and power and like I mean everybody's mm-hmm. got a role in the community mm-hmm. I am I, I do this thing I provide a place I think where mm-hmm. people can talk about stuff and it's not actually a place it's a place right now because you and I are sitting here but then it goes on the internet and other people can listen to it and right. relate and I play my role in the fourth estate yeah. sort of it's good but, no it's necessary you know, we it, need more non-corporate fourth estate members so yeah and it's yeah. never been easier to put a uh, alternative message out yeah. there and the the alter the most alternative thing about my message is really attempting to not structure it because when i i listen mm-hmm. to news stories on npr it drives me crazy how obvious it is that these are all chunks of dialogue they've chopped out yeah. in order to make it what they think they need to make it in almost ap style coherent journalism and who knows I'd rather hear that person that they're chopping up in all of these quotes speak at length so I can hear the yeah. context. Of it, what, exactly, because you know? then you never know where, where it came from right. and what they, what they left out. Maybe that was important. <laughs> right. And it's too much of a decision on the part of most journalists. They're doing too much censorship themselves yeah. on like what they think is important. And to be able to like spend, you know, put an hour and a half of two people talking up and let people get whatever they yeah. want whatever to they out, take of out of it. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't good. cost anybody any money. Yeah. You know, that's and, and that's, that's, I think, an amazing thing. And I, yeah. I think the internet right now and the technology we have now is very anarchical mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And the, um, the, the digital medium yeah. is, is excellent because it is recyclable. It's endlessly recyclable. Yeah. No it's, materials have to be. It's just that know. we have to make it so that the state and the corporations can't shut it down. I saw recently that some areas, the police forces can shut down iPhones when there's police activity to prevent anyone mm. from recording it, mm. you know, which kind of takes cop watching out of the picture, at least by, by cell phone, you know, and uh-huh. or like when well, the good folks in Egypt that, were using Twitter to right. organize and then and they China tried to shut all, it down. You can't. Google exactly. Tiananmen in China. Yeah, so so we have to keep communication open, both on a well, person-to-person level and technology. The good news about that is that nerds invented all of that shit. That's true. And nerds can take it away. I know, I know. <laughs> I love the nerds. I love all the internet hacker anonymous people who just like slam the government and the corporations have periodically. You, have you been into the, uh, the, the rest of the internet? Like, have you fucked around? Like, you know, there's... We are using 15% of it in all of the sort of sanctioned search engine kind yeah. of shit. And there are all kinds of other things going no, on. I am, I'm a Luddite at heart, so I am not, I'm not proficient enough to do any exploring. Well, you know about the Silk Road and, and Yeah, Bitcoin I did hear about the Silk that. Road and sort of all the... Yeah, I guess that's the underground sort of internet. And it is anarchical. Like, yeah. These are, I mean, people are using mm-hmm. that freedom to sell drugs and then... Yeah, well, I'm fine I mean, with that. <laughs> unfortunately, you know, a guy I know who was in recovery from 
heroin died because of his ability to get heroin that way. Yeah, but and we also know that prohibition doesn't work. We, so if people want to kill themselves with drugs, they're, they're, gonna, they're going to stop them. Yeah, not the state's not going to stop them. No. It, you know, never but, has. But there's this thing called the onion router tour, and hmm. you use that, and it creates a shifting IP address. It was actually invented oh, okay. for the Navy for encryption. Nice. But you can go on there and do shit and nobody – I mean, they can trace. I mean, like it would, it takes a lot of work. You can't be traced, but it's not like the direct IP address. Yeah. It's constantly refreshing and giving you a new IP address when you That's open awesome. your browser with it. And there's a lot of other shit going yeah. on out there. And those fucking – the cops and the politicians, all of those people, they barely understand how to use yeah. what we got now. Oh, yeah. And um, anytime they want to – I think if they go too far with it, they're, they're going to get bitch slapped by I hope so. Yeah. Good job, Anonymous. <laughs> I, I guess I, I like to be hopeful. I mean, uh, at yeah. this point in my life, I, I think I, I've seen enough shit to see that there is a movement. Yes, the specific people that carried the torch in the 60s I was talking about, right. those individuals fell off. But the principles have continued. Yeah. You know, the principles get picked up by the next generation and they continue. It's a continuum of questioning of not. Yeah. We, there are many of us that are refusing to join and we don't even want to join our own shit that is being created by our generation. Right. Like, why am I choosing a uniform? Why am I choosing um, talking points? What, like, constantly, and, and we have to keep tweaking that level of individual radical, personal radical behavior. Self-thinking. You know, yeah. yeah. With your, you still got to function as a part of the group. Otherwise, this shit falls apart. And, you know, there's, I, but I do see a very positive movement of, yes, there's a lot of, dumbing down that's going on where people are just plugged into the internet all day. Yeah. But there's also an enormous amount that I can find out in a, in a second that I, if I want to know something that yeah. would have been daunting as shit for me to go down and dig through a library. Right. It's a, it's a tool. It can be used well or used poorly. Yeah. I would say. And, and I'm, I'm trying to lean towards the, uh, the well. Yeah. I mean, well, positive attitude will take you places. So I think, I think it will. <laughs> I mean, overall I, I think that, it's not the the becoming like the Matrix thing is no more of our destiny than a, a utopian Star Trek kind of a model. Right. And both of those show us ways that we could go, we could gravitate or not gravitate. Mm -hmm. And we have to figure out what we want, you know. Mm -hmm. And this is the big activism that I want to be involved in is what do we want? Like what what's our ideal? Like what do we, how do we see ourselves? What would we you know what would what would really make us happy instead of like how do we sort of function in this this uh, post apocalyptic zombie land bombed out ruins right. of the American dream? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like how do we subsist? How do we survive? <laughs> no, how do we how do we f sort of spiritually, emotionally, mm -hmm. mentally flourish so that we love ourselves? And yeah, like love the idea of being humans or whatever. Instead of like most of us kind of go around with this shame that we're a pox on the planet, like, right? You know, but mm -hmm. we were made by the planet. You know, we grew out of this. right. So, how do we sort of flip it? Flip our thoughts on the whole thing. Yeah, I'd like to see. I'd like to see more discussion about this. That like non-shame based activism. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've been talking a while, and I have lots of other things I'd like to know, but uh, I don't know. I guess maybe we should wrap it up. Okay. <laughs> what, what do you think? You got to be I'm anywhere. I'm fine with that. I don't know what time is it. Uh, it is seven forty. Oh yeah, I should probably go before dark at least. <laughs> All right. Well, I really appreciate you coming over here. And yeah, totally. I'm, I admire what you're doing, and I, I have it. told myself I would go to City K 
counsel and talk back to those people. Yeah. I've never done it. It's fabulous. And they don't listen to a word you say. <laughs> yeah, but you did it. Yeah. And like, you know, you did it anyway. And that's extremely like inspirational. And I think it's badass. I think you are a badass. I'll take doing it. it. <laughs> keep, keep fighting the good fight. fight I appreciate fight that. Thank power. you. Thank you. Keep making media. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, I admire that woman and I'd like to follow her example and get a little more involved in the things that are going on that I care about in this city. And I think for me that that boils down to figuring out what proactive steps can be taken to see that a new, a renewed economic interest that might be coming back into this town in the form of private individuals buying houses and buying property doesn't displace people that uh, are the heart of this place. Because goddamn, the East Village in New York is a boring motherfucking place now. It's just people with money. And look, people, you know, there's nothing wrong with people with money, but you need the mixture for a place to be interesting, you know? The crazy, uh, the crazy combo. The, uh, everybody, all of the different, uh, all the different poles mixing. All the extremes and contrasts and everything. All of it going together to form an interesting society. You just can't have one or the other. Nobody should be asserting any kind of dominance over anything and saying our way is the best way. That is not the American way. All right, enough pontificating. Um, so if you've listened this far, I see a regularly pretty dedicated and regular listener. I'm broke. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Can you help me out with $20? I could use a little uh, kick in on the uh, on the support of the show. Um, I make more money than I ever used to, but I'm spending more. And uh, if you value this little uh, podcast, you can help me out with my medical bills and my debt and uh, all that stuff. A little bit. $20. Like I said, $20. How about with $20? $20, please. Be very nice. I promise if you give me some, I'll go back and find that toothless lady that got in my face at church and uh, I'll give her some of it. And then, uh, I don't know. I thought of all these awful off-color things right there. That I, just, I don't know what's wrong with me this morning. I'm a little uh, cranky. been yelling at the cat because she's just playing. I'm a curmudgeon. I'm getting old and curmudgeon-y. I'm 40... Or 